Hello everybody, welcome back to Space Junk. In this episode, Dustin and I try something different. We live stream the recording on all of the social media platforms, and we did this as kind of an experiment to see if we can get feedback while we were recording from our listeners as well as people watching the stream live, and it worked out pretty well. So we're going to try and stream these every episode now, and... And we'll be doing it on all of the social media channels that I'm a part of with at Deep Astronomy. That includes YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Twitch, as well as the Clear Skies Network, also on Twitch. Today's episode is all about binoculars. There is probably no easier way to get involved in the hobby of amateur astronomy other than just looking up with your eyes than by using a pair of binoculars. So Dustin and I give you some advice on what kind of binoculars our best, as well as what all of the different numbers mean that are associated with binoculars. So, let's get started. Hello everyone and welcome to Space Junk, a weekly podcast dedicated to the amazing hobby of amateur astronomy. Each week, we'll bring you interesting and fun discussions with an eye towards providing you with the latest information and advice on the tools, gadgets, software, and techniques for maximizing your enjoyment of the night sky. Your hosts are Tony Darnell from DeepAstronomy.Space and Dustin Gibson from OPT Telescopes, a world leader in telescopes and accessories. Hi, everybody. We are streaming now. My name is Tony Darnell, and with me is Dustin Gibson. We are live streaming this episode of the Space Junk Podcast that we are going to be posting early next week. Uh, just prior, I guess, gosh, I can't believe it, but next week is already Thanksgiving. And so... Yeah. Wow. So we're getting ready to um, start the holiday season, I guess. Uh, but I guess this is not new to you, right, Dustin? You run a, a retailer. You guys know all about Christmas season. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Every year it gets wild. Um, and, and it's <laughs> been that way this year, the entire year. So uh, we're just kind of feeling like, well, it's going to be crazy, but it's been crazy all year. So um, let's dive right into it. But. <laughs> Yeah, it's exciting, <laughs> exciting stuff. And it's when a lot of people get into astronomy for the first time. And and for good reason, too. I mean, you know, this is Orion season dominates the sky. And um, you can see it with telescopes extremely well, but you can see it with other things. And that's kind of my uh, my my weak attempt at a segue into today's topic. <laughs> that's right. Today we are going. This is the great binocular episode. Now, I wanted to get this in for two reasons. One, we haven't talked about binoculars yet, but it's also, as you just mentioned, a good way to get involved in amateur astronomy for the first time. And if we, so we're going to, what I'd like to do, Dustin, if it's okay with you, because we just started recording and I haven't really cleared this with you yet, but because we are, you know, we talk about binoculars, there's only so much we're going to be able to say. I think we probably won't take the full hour on it. Uh, but if we do, that's great. We'll just talk about binoculars the whole time. But I also wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, because it is starting the, the holiday season, maybe we could talk a little bit about your advice to people uh, on what's, what's some good ways to get started with bees, so maybe even some good gift ideas for people uh, for the coming upcoming holidays too. So I'd like to do that as well, maybe toward the last half of this uh, podcast, if that's all right with you. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, these yeah. things, you know, we always start out with a plan anyway, Tony, every podcast we've done has a plan. And then by four minutes into it, that plan is out the window and we're just talking about whatever, 
comes I know, I know. Stuff. I try <laughs> I try to be organized. <laughs> uh, Ian, Ian, uh, by the way, I, since we're live streaming, um, we're live streaming on my YouTube channel, uh, Clear Skies Network, as well as um, my Twitch network and Periscope. Uh, we're streaming on and Facebook, I'm, and I'm monitoring all the chat. Uh, so please, we'll hope, one of the reasons for streaming these episodes is that we can also get some immediate feedback that we can include in the content of the episode itself. So by all means, chat questions to us. Before we get uh, before we get into this too deep, check out what uh, we have on the way to you. I was going to send you a picture today, and then I didn't, but these arrived finally today. Check out these shirts, man. Can you see that? What do you got? Opt for women in astronomy. We finally got oh, the shirts cool. in, and super exciting. You know, we did the um, the women of astronomy video very recently, and it's um, it's going to be a big push in 2021. We have a lot of great people that that are sharing you know the message with us, including Dr. Pamela Gay, who has always been a champion for it for obvious reasons. But uh, we feel it's very important, and, and it's a it's a, a topic we, we want to talk more about. And so, yeah, man, we got we got shirts coming your way and we got a bunch of shirts in and those will be going out. So um, yeah. it's exciting times, man. A lot of really good things moving. So is the idea. So the idea is to just make it more uh, more friendly to to yeah, women accessible. to get into it or just to just to try and, and make content that's more geared toward what what women would find interesting. What's the what's the thrust? Uh, well, you know, the biggest thing I think is that most people don't know, and I, I would say men and women both, they don't know that it's accessible in the first place. So we have this giant hurdle in front of us, you know, um, as hobbyists and just as an industry. But the other side of it is that I think that there's very little that's been done in the way of marketing to or even just opening the door for women to, you know, be engaged. I mean, as you've seen in professional astronomy, there are a lot of additional hurdles that can uh, that can be very challenging for people. I know, um, you know, Pamela's mentioned those many times on on the streams, but oh, yeah. even in the even in the hobby, you know, there are things that um, it becomes a very real challenge. And you know, when we we did an entire podcast on this, if you remember, with with Skylius from Twitch, I mean, that's right. Skylius is one like of the biggest science streamers. One. Yeah. Yeah. She was one of the, she's one of the biggest science streamers on Twitch. And she talks about what it was like going through engineering school or, um, her, her science education. But then afterwards, all of the things that people don't think about, even like security or safety, you know, astronomy doesn't always lend itself without group settings like, uh, clubs yeah. to being the safest thing. It's like, you know, I don't know how many times we joked about this, but it's like, Hey, you want to go meet me in the middle of nowhere away <laughs> yeah, from everyone? You know, yeah. and it's like, no, no, that sounds can be terrible. creepy. Yeah, it's very, very creepy by its nature. And so the more I think we put this out, the more we show, listen, there are there are already. It's not like, hey, we're trying to get the first woman into astronomy. There are already so, so many. All we're trying to do is put a spotlight on the people already doing wonderful work already uh, being fantastic creators and just letting that be the inspiration that's necessary for other people to join in and take part in it and uh, be successful in it because it's on all aspects, whether it's just imaging or the business side. Listen, the other half of OPT is Jenny St. Lawrence. And um, I say it all the time, you know, the, the stuff that the imaging side is what I do. And then everything that makes it a business is Jenny. She runs it, yeah. you know? She's really, yeah, she's quite an amazing person. Actually. Yeah, she's yeah. unbelievable. She's unbelievable, yeah. but people don't know that it's run by a woman. And um, so whether it's 
people looking for jobs in the industry or looking to just get into the hobby, visual or imaging, or to pursue it on the professional level um, in the uh, academia world. I think all of those things just, it needs to be a discussion that's open and, and one that, um, you know, gets a spotlight. Well, I tell you what, let's try this as an idea. Let's do for, the, for either the next episode or one immediately after, not too far in the future. Let's do another one where we we revisit this topic a little bit more. Uh, we'll try to get some guests on uh, if we can. Because of scheduling, it's hard to always get guests here. But if I can if I can wrangle someone to come on and talk with us about it, uh, who's who's got direct experience uh, working in the field of astronomy, um, we can do that. Otherwise, we, I, I can uh, offer some information. Uh, for experience that I've had with working with people like Carol Christian and yeah. and uh, all the other pro- pro- professional astronomers I've worked with. So maybe we should revisit that as a topic because yeah, I think it is important. And I'm glad that, and since you've got the shirts and you're starting to highlight that more for 2021, I think we should uh, we should definitely revisit that. So let's, let's, make, let's put that on the schedule. Let's do it. Okay, so you want to get to binoculars? <laughs> let's talk binoculars. Let's, let's do some binoculars. Yeah, this is okay, where, so- um, you know, Fraser... Fraser Kane tells people on the virtual start parties all the time when they say, hey, what telescope should I start with? He says binoculars. Right. And um, I know a lot of people, I've heard you say that binoculars are a great way to start. And I I agree. Um, I think that the um, a lot of the challenges of getting started in astrophotography, if astrophotography is what you want to do, binoculars are not going to help you. Very hard to image through a set of binoculars. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> very true. Very yeah. true. But if you just but, want to get out and explore the night sky, then absolutely. I think they're a phenomenal place to start. But why is it, Tony, that you recommend binoculars to people getting started? Well, okay. Well, as an example, uh this week you can go outside and you can see in the early dusk, uh right after dusk, you can look up and you can see in the sort of the southwestern sky, you can see Jupiter followed by Saturn. And if you go a little bit further to the east along the ecliptic, you'll see Mars. So right there are three prime targets that you can use this week and and in the coming weeks to look to use with binoculars. Now, I, I like them because they're dual purpose. I, I'm going to, I think we'll talk about a little bit, some of the Celestron uh, larger format binoculars that they sell, but I, I recommend people, and I've heard you do it too, where you just, you just order, you just get a regular pair of binoculars that you can find at most uh, good, decent retailers because Mm -hmm. they're useful for a lot of other things besides astronomy. I bought these binoculars. These are a pair. Um, for those of you listening to the audio, I'm holding up a pair of binoculars. They're roof prism, and I'll talk about those differences in a minute in just a second. But this is a Pursuit brand. They're 8x42s, and I bought them for uh, my wife because she loves to look at wildlife. And it, as it happened on Monday, uh, we wanted, she wanted to look at planets. She wanted to see all the planets that were out. So we had a clear night, rare enough. And we took these out uh, to look at them. And and um, she had a great time. We, we, she, she was able to see the disk of Jupiter, but no real detail. These are, like I said, eight by 42s. We'll talk about those numbers in a minute. Uh, we saw bright red color on Mars when we looked at that. But um, there's some disadvantages to small pairs of binoculars like this, and which I think we'll talk about as time goes on. But they're dual purpose. We use these. I use these in the boat. I use these for looking at wildlife. I use it to look in my neighbor's window. I don't. Not really. Much. <laughs> okay, yeah. So I, I, I don't do that. Uh, so, but yeah, I, I mean, these are, and that's why I reckon, and they're reasonably inexpensive. I think I paid, 
I bought these at like Bass Pro Shops or something, and they're like um, 140 bucks or something like that. I paid for them. So, and they're good binoculars. They're a good, well wide field of view and all that kind of stuff. So they're very good all purpose things, and you can use them for looking up in the night sky with. So that's why I recommend. Yeah, in in the astronomy manufacturers, you know, on our on our website, we list them as sport optics, which also encompasses like spotting scopes. But the astronomy manufacturers, Mead, um, Celestron, Celestron makes phenomenal uh, binoculars, and they're much larger apertures because they know people are going to use this for night uh, night viewing, and you need that aperture to increase the brightness of what you're looking at because you're not looking, you know, through um, you're not looking through into areas that have a ton of light. It's not like going out to the zoo and, you know, at noon and looking at an animal, you've got to capture a lot of light and you can't change your exposure time. You're going to get one sixtieth of a second with the human eye. So having a big aperture helps, uh, helps gather a lot of light. And so they make, you know, the ones that I can see you pulled up on the screen here now, um, but for not a lot of money, I mean, they've got these big like seventies and, and as you get into, um, to binoculars of that size, they don't have to get extremely expensive. I mean, a great set of binoculars you can get for under $200. And that, that'll be like the type you keep forever, um, you know, or less. A, lo a lot of the best ones are even under $100. But, um, you know, those really, really big binoculars, it helps if you're going to be using them for night sky viewing to have them on a tripod because, um, you know, the <laughs> binoculars come, like you just said, with two numbers, like 25 by 70. Um, you know, I, I tell people that, uh, the first number is a scale of how frustrated you're going to be trying to hold it still. And the second <laughs> number is a scale of how much the image will blow you away when you look at it. All right. Yeah. Uh, very good. Yeah. That's a good way to describe it. Yeah. The first number uh, is the magnification. The second number is the diameter in millimeters of the uh, objective lens. So in this, in these eight by 42s, uh, the magnification is eight power. And the, yeah. uh, the objective is uh, 42 millimeters for each yeah. one. Well, and, so. and the, the temptation is to go out and buy the biggest numbers you can, buy the biggest set of binoculars with the most magnification. And sure, that's, that's going to be wonderful if you're on a tripod and it's perfectly right. stable. But if you get out there, <laughs> if you get out there with some 2570s and you're trying to handhold that across the sky and scan it... Um, You'll know what I mean when I say that first number is your your frustration level trying to hold that thing still because at twenty five magnification you know you you're going to see a lot of shake in in the inability to hold something that big and heavy still as you scan the sky. So most people start with lower magnification and then you know obviously the biggest objective that you can get the biggest you know um, so the biggest front element but low magnification is going to make it very easy to hold steady and still give you a very very bright image so let's 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 do a little bit of nomenclature before we get too long before we get too far into this i hope this shows up my graphics aren't showing up right now here we go so i downloaded and and for those of you listening i'm about to describe what we're seeing on video but these are the two main kinds of binoculars on the uh there's there's poral prism binoculars and there's roof prism binoculars the ones that i bought for my wife are roof prism binoculars they light goes straight through each uh, each optical tube, by the way, binoculars, binoculars, those are two optical tubes. You're basically holding two telescopes in your hand when you're using a pair of binoculars. Um, the Poro prism on the right has two prisms that actually make kind of a U shape uh, for the 
they actually turned the optical path into a U, uh, and it, and you can tell the difference between the two kinds of binoculars by where the eyepieces sit behind the objective. In a roof prism binocular, the uh, eyepieces are directly behind the the objective lenses. In a roof prism binocular, they're a little bit offset, uh, and right. they both have pluses and minuses. But the big plus for roof prism binoculars is that they tend to be smaller. They tend to be uh, you can make them you can make them physically smaller, and uh, but but that as a consequence, they have lower fields of view or narrower fields of view, and making and and the images aren't as bright as, for example, in a poroprism binocular, binocular, where mm -hmm. they tend to be bigger physically, so they're heavier, and a little bit more bulky, but the images are wider field. Uh, and by images, I mean what your eye can see, not what you can't, like, like Dustin said, you can't take pictures with these. But you, you, and they give you a brighter, and I think a wider field of view, clearer image. So uh, poroprism binoculars tend to be better if for astronomy-only applications, I would say, but there's nothing at all to prevent you from using a roof prism binocular. The advantage there being that they're just lighter, smaller, and, uh, uh, and, and a little bit you know, easier to deal with than a poro prism binocular would be. Yeah, so, and generally for tripod mounting, you'll see that most of the ones that are tripod mountable are roof prism. Um, it lends itself a little more to having a bracket between the two pieces. No, I think they're poro prism, aren't they? The, 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 the ones? Uh, no, the poro prism. So the poro prism are generally like, I mean, it's it's folded optics, right? Um, right. Into the center. Oh, okay. And oh, okay. so, yeah, they're a little easier. In my opinion, they're a little easier to hold. I like the shape of them. But that, you know, roof prism looks like two refractors going straight back. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And these Skymaster binoculars from binocular, from from Celestron, are these Poro or roof? They look like Poro prisms to me. Um, I don't know. You can click into it yeah. there. I, I don't yeah. uh, I don't often use binoculars. You know, I... I did it when I first started, but I had a Dobsonian, and like you, Tony, I fell in love with the Dobsonian, and so even though yeah. it was a much, much more challenging thing to bring out and to start with, I loved getting the view that you get through something like a big optic like that and really reaching out, and, and Orion, which is out now, the Orion Nebula, is something that I feel like when you see that through a telescope for the first time or a set of binoculars, it really draws you into the hobby. It's so amazing to see color, you know, in the night sky and anything. Um, but, you know, it's really easy to find with binoculars, but there's just no substitute for a gigantic telescope when you're looking yeah. at deep space objects, you know? Yeah. Yeah. These so look I don't like have a, I don't have a ton me, so. of experience. I have a set out in the observatories that I'll just scan the sky with. And it is, it's a, it's a wonderful experience, very immersive because yeah. it's so wide field. Yeah. It feels like it just brings you out to it. Um, but, you know, the really big binoculars, you you do still need to bring out, you know, something to stabilize it. Yeah, those are yeah. Poro Prism. Yeah, those are like Poro Prism to me. Okay, yeah. so um, so these, the, so there are, if you wanted to get a pair of binoculars for astronomy only, then really these, these uh, Skymaster binoculars are the sort of binoculars you want to get just because they have very big uh, objectives on order of 70 millimeters, 80 millimeters. Uh, they, they even have these Skymaster 25 by, by 100s. Uh, these are massive, right? These are 100 millimeter objectives with 25 power. Now, you're not going to be able to hold anything in your hand over 10 power 
and be able to see anything. I think 10 by 50s are useless binoculars for anything like wildlife observing or anything like that, because you can't, you just, it just jiggles too much, right? It's just, it's just crazy. So I, I, but if you wanted to do something with only with astronomy, then these Skymaster binoculars uh, on a tripod would be uh, a good way to go, but you really can't use it for much else other than tripod mounted wildlife observing or, or, you know, let's say you're going to go to a, a rocket launch and watch, um, watch SpaceX launch a rocket or something like that. You could have a set of these sitting on a, on a tripod and that would be really awesome experience. In fact, now that I hit sit here and say that I actually want to go do that. So I need yeah. to get a pair of these binoculars, but, um, but you need to be aware that these are pretty, these will not be handheld. They're very heavy. Uh, let's, I don't think the, the, the website here lists how heavy they are. Maybe they do somewhere. So uh, the real yeah. the real benefits then to binoculars, to starting with binoculars over a telescope, I would say is one, learning curve, and two is price. Binoculars yeah. are generally a little more budget friendly. Um, getting into a small Dobsonian, generally going to be around $300 and then up from there. Um, right. or, you know, a go-to system somewhere four to $500 and up from there. Um, with binoculars, you know, you give up those features, you give up the aperture, you give up that stuff, but what you gain is simplicity. You can literally just go outside, hold them up and look. And as long as you can focus to your eyes, you're, you're good to go. Um, and you know, the price getting into a set of binoculars under a hundred dollars, there's, there's no real, uh, barrier there. So people can, yeah. can get into them very easily and they're portable. You, you know, you can just leave them in the car all the time or, or whatever. And, and they're always around. Whereas something like a Dobsonian, especially yours, Tony, you can't just leave it in the car. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I'm still, I'm still collimating that, that beast. And I, I'm, I, my plan is to go out and of Thanksgiving weekend, since nobody can go out and do anything uh, really with the family, I'm just going to spend the day, the weekend with that telescope. So I'm really excited about that, but you're right. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, these things are, are, are very, you know, just ease of use. You cannot beat yeah. it. There they are. They're definitely just like Dobsonians and one look at them and you know how to do it. Um, so a couple of things for a beginner that I've always wondered about that I want to tell you about in this podcast while we're talking about binoculars. Have you ever noticed that these binoculars have a little adjustment, a little focus on one side that you don't get on the other side? And I used to wonder, what the heck is that thing? Why do I have to, you know, when in addition to the main focus, when you're looking through a pair of binoculars, yep. why do you got to also do this other knob that's usually, I think it's on the right side of telescopes or on binoculars. Most on binoculars it's, on, yeah. it's on the right side here on these. Uh -huh. That is called the diopter. And I'm telling you this because it took me years to figure this out. I never knew what it was for. I always ignored it. And the reason you use it and you don't set it all that, and the reason it's so hard to turn, this one's like a really hard one to turn in this pair of binoculars, uh, is that you usually just uh, set it once and forget it. Right. And you need it because people's eyes, especially mine now that I'm an old man, aren't the same. And you're looking at, a tele you're looking at two telescopes at the exact same time, one through each eye. And... If you're focusing and focusing and focusing and you can never seem to get it just right, if you would, if you just adjust that diopter a little bit, suddenly you'll find, boom, it goes into a nice focus for you because both eyes are now operating uh, correctly. It basically matches up the differences in your eyes 
so that they get it. You get a nice crystal clear image. And in a good pair of binoculars, that makes all the difference in the world because you won't ever get good focus if you don't adjust that diopter, especially if you're older like yeah. me and you have an astigmatism and stuff like that. So that's what that does. If you were ever wondering, because <laughs> I was for years, I never knew yeah. what that was. Well, Fraser and I were talking about this once for um, for outreach, whether or not binoculars were the best tool for outreach when you know you're going out with your binoculars to go show other people. I disagree. I think this is a place where telescopes still win for a couple of reasons. One, the view through a telescope once it's set is you can't beat it. Um, yeah. But the other thing is having to teach people to focus something both have to happen. You have to do that with a telescope. You have to do that with binoculars because everybody's eyes are different. If we both go look through a telescope, we're going to have to focus in between. It's not going to be exactly the same. Um, Remember we were in your driveway and we were looking at the ring nebula with the scope that I now have. And you were, <laughs> I had it focused for me and you go to look through it. And you're like, damn, Tony. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have to get some spacers out just to make this work, man. Wow. You were cranking the knob all yeah. the way down again. You're yeah, like, you got on, the eyepiece like six inches from it. <laughs> um, <laughs> we had a counterbalance the other side, man. God. 20, oh, man. 20 yeah, over so, 800 over here. Yeah, really. It was like, damn, though. You really couldn't see that before. <laughs> it's like, whoa. Yeah, in that moment, man, I was just you? proud of you for finding the telescope. You know, <laughs> really? making your way over to it. To- Um, but uh you know think about this you have to you have to train somebody to focus either way um they're both pretty easy to do the first focus you know it's the little rotating dial on a binocular set or a little rotating knob on a telescope easy enough two seconds but now trying to if you're doing outreach and you're passing binoculars from person to person to person every time you have to explain that second piece which is what um, what you were just describing, where you have to say, okay, we want you to focus this to your <laughs> to your left eye, and then mm-hmm. you need to close your left eye and now focus the right one independently. And it's just a it's a lot to ask somebody that's never looked, it is. and it then is. start trying to show them around in the sky instead of just having a telescope set on a target and say, hey, just turn this knob until it pops into view and you're done. That's it. So I, I still think telescopes win for outreach. Yeah, and I'll and I'll back that up with a story from Monday when I told my wife wanted to go out and look at the planet. So I took Charlotte out and we went to the backyard uh, where we had these. But I just thought we just quickly grab the binoculars and go. Um, and even though these are eight power, um, I couldn't hold them steady enough to see anything. So I had to get out a ladder and put my and put my elbows on it so that I could, you know get some support for the binoculars because I don't care how lightweight they are holding something up at a, at an angle is very tiring. And so it's hard to do for any kind of stability. And I had hoped that we could see the Galilean moons with these binoculars, mm-hmm. uh, but we didn't see them. And, um, she was unable also to hold them very steady. And she so we were using the ladder, uh, to be able to see it. And it was disappointing because she was hoping to see more, more, uh, detail out of it than what we did see had we had a you know a pair of uh, a tripod and a mount to put it on it would have been a lot better but that's why telescopes give you a better view among other things is they have a mount and there's and they're steady and you're not trying to hold them up uh, at the same time and and it's always disappointing however a set of a pair of star or sky master binoculars on a tripod in that same situation 
I think would, would, they would hold its own in against a telescope. So hold a hand holding binoculars, not such a great experience, but on yeah. a tripod, I think it could hold its own. Absolutely. Yeah. Tripod yeah. binoculars mounted on a tripod is it's a lot of fun, but I still, you know, it, it comes down for me is you got to understand the two tools as, you know, pr- providing two completely different things. Binoculars are good at that immersive experience. If that's what you're looking for is going out and you just want an enhanced version of going out to a dark sky, like, uh, you know, going out to the observatories or, or any of that stuff. And you're looking up and when you're in a dark sky, it it's almost hard to explain if you've never been to one. But when you're in truly a dark sky, you get lost. You can't, you know, I've been staring at the sky every night for years and I still can't find the stars and the constellations I know very well. Um, under really dark skies because it just becomes a wall of stars and everything else, everything disappears. You can't find anything. And so you just get lost. And it's the most amazing experience realizing just how vast and grand it really is. That's something that binoculars provide uh, really, really well is that immersion in that whole thing because it's enough magnification to drown out all of the surroundings to to lose the horizons, but still have huge walls of sky, right? And that's that's why I think it's not about magnification. If you want magnification, get a telescope because they will win every single time. They have the aperture, they have the magnification, they have the stability. And then, of course, they have tracking and go-to and all of these things designed to when you really want to go out and you don't want to see this whole wall of sky, but you want to see the Pleiades or you want to see just the Orion Nebula. There's no substitute. You've got to have a telescope to perform that job well and really, you know, get the immersive experience in that one target. But if you, what you want is a wall of sky, binoculars can do that. And, they, and they're very tough to beat. Yeah, that's well said. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, the the uh, the the level of detail and the ease of use and all of these things combined are really going to help i think be a big a big pro for for being for this being your introductory your introductory experience into astronomy but i i pause because it's also good for pros as someone who's very experienced in looking at the night sky i still enjoy getting out a pair of binoculars but just because i can just grab them and go right and uh and, yeah. and but you're right magnification we need to get over that. Everybody needs to forget magnification, even in telescopes, yep. because mm-hmm. it just makes your life miserable if you don't have the set, the very best of everything. Best yep. mount, the best optics, the best location, all of it. Be- best seeing, because magnification magnifies everything, not just what you want to look at. So yep. a pair of 10 by 50 binoculars, in my opinion, even though they're supposedly handheld, is overkill. That's basically tripod binoculars right there. And those anything are, of any of these sky masters also require a tripod. Yeah, it's easy to say that now, but those are just the beginner mistakes. I mean, I made them. I'm sure you did, whether you'll admit it or not, Tony. No, you I know, had a pair of 10 by 50s. Aperture, yeah. aperture <laughs> and magnification, man. That's all I care about. Give me I aperture know, and give me magnification. I want to scope the size of a school bus with 400,000 millimeters of focal length. <laughs> A you know? thousand power, man. Yeah, I want exactly. a thousand power. <laughs> you know, because but that's you know, better. when you're just getting started and you're reading in the forums and people don't really know what they're talking about and a lot of that stuff. And you're, you're looking for information and you're getting your information for someone that just got their first pair off Amazon or, or whatever else it is. And it's like, all right. So you end up with, you know, the blind leading the blind to a certain degree. And it can be a problem. The reason it's a problem is because 
mistakes in astronomy can be expensive and they can actually be something that gets people out of the hobby. And this is the best hobby in the world. It's one that shifts entire yeah. perspectives, life perspectives. And so making a mistake where you end up with a telescope that's too big or too much magnification or focal length for what you're trying to do can actually be a real challenge and very frustrating. And if you get too much magnification, it's like what you just said. It's like, well, I'm going to go out and see how the atmosphere looks tonight because that's all I'm going to see is <laughs> the shaking atmosphere yeah. above me. And that's it. Blurry dots bouncing yeah. around. Too much that's magnification right. is a bad thing. Right. Uh, and on that same vein, though, even though I just said all of that and holding up uh, binoculars and, and needing a tripod and everything else, uh, before we leave the topic of binoculars, we should probably say something about the image stabilized ones. Have you heard of those, Dustin? Yeah, yeah. The we we sell them. Image Right. So why yeah, don't we, yeah. you want to talk about those a little bit? Let's talk about the image stabilized binoculars. Um, they're, they're awesome. They make the experience incredible. They're expensive, um, but they have, it's just like image stabilized lenses. Um, Canon actually makes image stabilized binoculars that we used to sell. Um, it's, it's one of those things where it's like you hold the binoculars and you can, you can see all the shake in your hands and everything. And then when you press a button electronically, this will counteract the movement of your hands, just like it will with camera lenses to get a steady shot. And so you can scan the sky, the sky and it looks, I mean, much more stable. It looks, it almost looks like you're on a tripod. And so yeah. the, especially the high end ones are absolutely unbelievable. You can get incredible magnifications and use these things. But when I say that, I mean, these are, you know, a thousand dollars to $2,000. So it's almost not even <laughs> yeah. the same hobby at that point. You're talking no. about going up in price by 10x or 20x. And those are for smaller diameter ones like uh, 40 millimeters, 50 millimeter binoculars yeah. right. uh, at the most, right? That mo mostly right. it's under 40 exactly. millimeters. They're and really not made the, for uh, astronomy. They're made for, you know, safaris and, and things like that. Um, and that's why they don't have huge apertures. Uh, right. But, you know, I think if you made one for astronomy, I mean, you'd be looking at a $5,000 set of binoculars, but... You know, it'd be, it'd be a powerful tool, <laughs> <That'd> be crazy. <laughs> but it does, it does obviate the need of a tripod. You could get away without a tripod yes. in those image stabilized binoculars. The first time I yeah. ever used a pair was on a sailboat. And I'm here to tell you now, if you've ever tried to use normal binoculars to Impossible. see something far away, like a navigation marker or whatever, it's yeah. really hard because the yeah. boat and everything, there's no way. Down. Yeah. But though I, those, these were, I think, I think they were cannons. Might have been Minolta's. I can't remember. Maybe they were Minolta's. But I looked at them and boom, it was like it they're was incredible. like night and day. Yeah, they're I, incredible. It's like the it's like the visual equivalent of when you buy a pair of Bose noise canceling earphones, head headphones, and you turn them on. Right? It's like mm -hmm. you hear all this noise, and then you click on those Bose earphones, and boom, you don't hear any noise at all. It's yeah. like that when you click on the noise, the image stabilization. Suddenly, what's bouncing all around in there suddenly stops. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's incredible. It's, but it's they incredible. are. Hey, I, I do love the irony though, of you being the guy telling people to get the small aperture, small focal length, and you have a half meter telescope in your backyard, <laughs> you know, yes, well, <laughs> seven feet tall. <laughs> it is. It is seven feet tall. I can't wait to start streaming with that because it is huge. It is, it is, a, it is. And, and, it's it's very simple to use. I, I mean, it's a go to telescope among you know all these other great features it's got. But man, I can just point it where, wherever I need to go, and I can look at the night sky. Sharpest However, views I've ever seen are through that screen. Yeah. You remember when we were looking at Saturn here in uh, California with it? 
It was. That's right. It looked. How many times have you seen Saturn? And both of us looked at each other like, "Man, that <laughs> looks fake." <laughs> it does. It does. And it, it was looked, low in the sky that night. It was relatively low in the horizon, so we were looking yeah. through a lot of atmosphere. But it was still really, yeah, it was stunning. And that's what that's what aperture gets you, right? You get all of this this uh, yeah. amazing photons ability to and, and just it's just incredible. So yeah, there's right. a I can see there's a little bit of irony here, but I but I, I do have binoculars and I do use them, so I thought we could talk about them a little bit here mm-hmm. and this one. So um okay um i want to get to a couple of good comments here because we got a lot of comments coming on uh, from sure. facebook um uh luke luke daigle is commenting my binoculars are a minolta's 7 by 21 by 50 uh is this any good for watching the skies how come there's three numbers there luke 7 by 21 by 50 it should be just two numbers there unless it's a zoom a pair of zoom binoculars which we didn't talk about yeah you it's can buy be zooms. zoom binoculars it's either zooms uh, huh? or a trinocular. Trinocs? I've never heard of those. They make those. <laughs> it's like what? It, it's a third eye, right? <laughs> 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 okay. So yeah. Anyway, seven by two. Actually, any binoculars would be fine. Um, it's better. It, they, all they do, all they're going to do, Luke, is they're just going to enhance your eyes right so your eyes are a pair of binoculars they just happen to have apertures of only a few millimeters and a focal length of of uh, a few millimeters as well um, so you're just you're just enhancing your eyeballs when you put a pair of binoculars up there um, so those yes those will be good for watching the skies and the best re, the best part about your question is it's easy to find that out just get out there and go look at saturn tonight or go look at at jupiter yeah it's low. It's, it's, it's in the Southwestern sky just after sunset. So yeah, so there we go. Um, and, uh, Architufus on, uh, on clear skies network is, um, has a great idea. Let me even pull up my, his comment here so I can read it. I can't push it up on the, on the stream, but let's see. He it. says, uh, Tony, have you tried using a mirror mount? It inverts how you hold the binocular so that you're looking down at a mirror instead of up. And that's, that's a good thing to do, but you need a pretty high quality mirror, I think, to make that work, right? Otherwise, you'll get a lot of um, hairy stars and dusty stars that you're looking at by magnifying the mm. the mirror itself. But that's one way, and you can more comfortably look down than up. So that's that's a good way to go. Have you ever done that, Dustin? No, but the idea makes sense either. because it it over time, you know, a lot of people that do that use binoculars regularly, they have the chairs that lay back. And they bring those out to look with binoculars because it, it does, especially if you're holding them up and you don't have a tripod, it can hurt your neck after a while, you know? Right. Uh, and that, and that brings up Gregorius's comment on YouTube. He goes, using a tripod with binoculars is not an option with a bad back. So yeah, I, but you know, they make pair of, you could, you could like an Adirondack lawn chair or something and lean back and, and, and some people find that, you know, they make these convoluted mounts to hold them over their eyes while they lay back in a chair. Those always look super comfy. Yeah. I've never done that, but there's, um, yeah, it's a cool experience, so. man. It, it really is. You know, and the other thing that kind of fits into this category is sport opt or, um, I'm sorry, uh, spotting scopes, you know, oh, right. we still, we still carry the Celestron spotting scopes for that reason. Actually, Jenny, uh, you know, the other owner of OPT, she, keeps a spotting scope in her in her uh um adventure she has an adventure van that she built and uh she keeps a spotting scope in there to do astronomy with she pulls it out and because it has the zoom she likes that and she can show people the planets and 
you know, the moon super close up and it's, it's awesome, man. It's a really good experience. Some of those spots. Yeah, those are basically are nice. just half a binocular, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Except you can get huge aperture with it. Yeah. Yeah. And those also have zooms. You can get zoom, zoom capability. Yeah. Those as well. Yeah. And that zoom, that um, zoom function is nice. All right. So, uh, uh, Ver, Verun or V on, on clear skies network wants to know, could uh, you use binoculars for auto guiding? Uh, probably not, but just asking. I don't think so, man. Have you ever heard anybody doing that? Um, no, but that would be the most amazing thing if I saw somebody pull that <laughs> off. If you do it, please send us a picture of it because that will be amazing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. John Suffle uh, on YouTube is commenting. I recently bought a pair of of Orion t- uh, two by fifty four binoculars. You mean twenty by fifty four? Um, they are great for looking at star fields and bring up at least one magnitude more stars, one and a half magnitudes in really dark areas. What do you think of the Orion binoculars, Dustin? They're good. Orion, Orion's a a solid company. Um, they, so they make these, these are like, they look like opera binoculars. You know, if you go to an opera, so they, they have almost no magnification, just doubles your magnification, but they're, they're really small. I mean, they are like an inch and a half, maybe two inches total, like long. So you just just wide enough for you to put your fingers around. Um, and what it what it's meant to do is just give you a little more magnification, but be super fast so that you get big, bright views of everything around you. So they they really are opera style binoculars, okay. meant for when you go well, to the opera. You go to a lot of operas, right? Oh uh, yeah, I, I'm known for that. I'm a real. You a still regular. sing opera, don't you? <laughs> yes, I do, but not today. Okay. <laughs> okay, I correct myself. Absorbing photons it says two by fi- two by fifty fours exist. So they're real. They're super wide field, he says. So I I stand corrected. Two by fifty four is the binocular heat that John has. I apologize, John. That means they have a magnification of two. Um, and they're super wide field, apparently. So I I did not know that. But they're great for looking at star fields, he says, and they're great, uh, and they bring at least one magnitude more uh, than what you can see with your eyes. So basically, that's what that sounds like, is you're basically just giving yourself a really good uh, pupil, a big, big, big pupil yeah. to catch those, those stars with. So thank yeah, you for that. Yeah, it's not about I learned something myself. Yeah. I did not know that. Um, okay, so... I'm, I'm, and this is from Nature and Photography. Um, I've heard of people who do astrophotography with the pair. It sounds nice, but I wouldn't do that though. Yeah, I don't. I don't know how you would do it? it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I could see like cell phone astrophotography if you haven't mounted on a tripod. But when you start getting into tracking and everything, you have to have a really good internal clock. Yeah, he's also commenting that's. That's F4 for binoculars on the two by 54s. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know how you would do it uh, either. So, um, and again, boy, everybody's into imaging right now. So Raj wants to know if there's any binoculars you can take pictures with. <laughs> Everybody everybody's wants to image into imaging. Now. Like can't you're surprised. Can't we just have one episode <laughs> where we don't talk about taking images? Can we just please do that? <laughs> I mean, Okay. Yeah, right. I'm sure there's yeah, imaging what have, binoculars. What have we done? A hundred episodes now that were all imaging centric, <laughs> and then you're like, "Why is everybody talking about imaging?" Ah, I thought for sure I'd get away from it at once. Yeah, 
<laughs> no, there's probably imaging binoculars out there too. Do you know of any? I, I think I'd heard of some. Like, I think you could. Um, there's binoculars where they have CCDs on them, and you can click in the middle button there, and you can take pictures. Is that yeah, true? you know, I don't know really what the advantage would be. The advantage with binoculars is that it's a lot more immersive, and you know, you can having two eyes gives you a lot more depth perception. Um, so you know, but with a sensor, you're not getting that advantage. Right. So really all you're doing is doubling how much data you can gather, which you could do the same thing by just, add, I mean, why not add three or four? And I, you have, I have seen people do this. If you look up um, Dragonfly, um, that's a system with like, I think 16 or 18 lenses running at once, but you're not going to get the same advantage that you would from using, uh, using them visually. And again, it's because sensors have a gigantic advantage over the human eye in that we can control all of the aspects of the exposure and the ISO, um, you can't do that with the human eye. And as, as we talked about earlier, like Tony can't even control whether or not they work. So like, you know, <laughs> he had to rack his All focus out nine and a half inches. Um, he almost broke the telescope. It's not that bad. It's yeah. Bad. So anyway, um, yeah, I think that that, there's really no advantage to running them other than just doubling the light, which is great. But now you've got some new challenges on mounting two binoculars on a tracking head that you now have to balance and make sure are on the same target. So you don't have any cone error or you don't have any, um, you know, so that you can stack the data later. It's, it's a good idea. Rogelio Bernal Andreo does that. Um, one of the best imagers in the world and probably has more APODs than anyone I would imagine. I think it's like over 70 APODs. Um, but he uses two for the reason of just doubling his data. So they're, they're identical and he just doubles his data with sensors. But other than that, no, I don't, I don't see a tremendous advantage. It's not going to give you any difference in what the image looks like after the fact. Yeah. The only imaging binoculars I've ever seen were like, they were like gimmicky, right? They were, I think, uh, I think they were made by Canon, but they were kind of an afterthought, right? They just let you click what you were looking at and you got some, I don't know, 640 by 480 image out of it. Uh, but it's, it was tended for terrestrial use, lots of photons, nothing for, for, um, any of that kind of, uh, exposure control or anything like that. But as you were just talking about it, it occurred to me that with telescopes like Stellina that are out there, I predict, you heard it here first, I here predict go. that we're going to have a Stellina-like pair of binoculars coming out within three years. Something like that, right? I would that agree. That would let you do what Stellina does only mm -hmm. in, a, in a binocular form. Yeah, watch for it. I love the idea of being able to scan the night sky, and as you're scanning, you're seeing you know, on the HUD, like what the heads up display, what you're seeing right there, yeah. right? You, like, I, I love that, that as you scan, it pops up and says Orion Nebula. And he starts scrolling down data on what you're looking at. Like, that's not far away. I really don't think it is. And um, I agree, man. How, how incredible would that experience be? Yeah, that would be fun. Um, okay, so I'll, let me read Galaxy Art Media. He is commenting, or she, uh, you might do astrophotography with uh, with camera and high distortions, uh, but you need a you need a field flattener to correct the field curvature. But there would be some wide field finder scopes that you could use flatter. 
I think is what he's saying. So yes, field flattening yeah. is going to be a big issue. And that's not wrong. As well. Binoculars, you never see you never see it listed as flat field binoculars because it doesn't need to be. Um, it's not going to a flat sensor. It's going to the human eye, and they're made for that. So yes, it's, that's not wrong. Um, they would have field curvature. Okay, George has a question for you, I think, uh, uh, Dustin. Uh, what Do you have any advice for the best inexpensive tripod mount for these? So the best inexpensive, I mean, uh, inexpensive is a, is a challenging word. Um, I mean, uh, what, is, what is inexpensive? Well, let's just say the best tripod and the best mount for a traditional, like photographic tripod. The best tripod, in my opinion, is the Radian tripod. I'm super biased. Um, because we designed it, but we designed it for astrophotography in mind. And here's, here's a good rule of thumb. If it can do astrophotography, it can do visual, right? Because astrophotography is much more challenging. Everything has to be a lot more stable. It has to be more precise. So if it can do astrophotography, if it's stable enough for that, it can absolutely do visual. Um, and yeah, I saw you had the tripod there with you, but I mean, there are so many details in that tripod that I've never seen. You know, it took yeah. six months to develop. There was so much that went into it. And it's super lightweight. And that was important. We wanted a tripod that wasn't cumbersome. It wasn't hard to carry around. Even if you wanted to just go to the zoo with it, like that's something you should be able to do and not feel like you've had, you know, 40 pounds on your back all day. Um, yeah. So I would say that in my opinion, that's the best option for tripods. Um as far as the mount, you know, I think Tony, don't you have a, a Skywatcher Star Adventurer Pro? Uh, yes, I do. Man, uh, you've got an entire actually, shop in there. You've got everything in there. Yeah, well, I'm getting a bit. Yeah, here it is. I have. Yeah, one. that. Uh, yeah, those are amazing. You put that on a um, like a radiant tripod or a small photographic tripod. I saw somebody just mention in the comments, Manfrotto or uh, Gitzo. All these companies. All of that will work. It's a three-eighths mount, so they all work. And um, something like that is a really, really great way. If you're looking for tracking, that's something that can do it, and it does it on AA batteries. So it's not like you don't have to bring a car battery out to the field or find AC power or anything like that. It's just really, really easy to use. So I, I love those simple systems. Yeah, me too. And uh, this is uh, my my solar uh, telescope setup. I bought the the Radian tripod for that, but it is it is a good all around tripod. You're oh, right; it's very it, sturdy. Is that what you use for the PST? Your solar scope? Yeah, yeah. Oh wow, man, that's the awesome. PST, that's a that's a great idea. Yeah, I just I wanted a real quick and easy way to just go out. What I like to do is is. Uh, uh, get the sun centered early in the morning and then go out throughout the day and just periodically check out what's going on on the solar disc. And so, um, yeah, it's a, it's a perfect mount for that. And the, uh, the star adventure is, you know, that's the clock drive. If you care about a portable clock drive with four, a batteries, uh, mm -hmm. being the only power source you got to worry about, then that's, that's like, that's a good way to go. And it would drive a pair of binoculars with the right mount and the mounts yeah. the, you're probably gonna have to get something from Celestron. I think they tend to make the best, uh, adapters for tripods. They call them tripod adapters, I think. Uh, and you just mount those on and yeah. uh, use them that way. And it, it works out really good. Yeah, it's excellent. Um, and, and Ioptron makes a mount that's, um, you know, the sky guider pro that's the same size. It has a few advanced features like polar alignment can be done electronically, which is really, really awesome. Um, 
But yeah, man, there there are definitely options at a low price point for tracking heads on photographic tripods. All of that stuff is under five hundred dollars. All of it. Uh, okay, so um, Hans Milling is coming. Boy, we have a lot of comments, guys. This is great. I have I have uh, image stabilization in my three hundred millimeter lens for my DSLR. It makes a world of difference when I switch it on or off. Now that's a different topic entirely. Image stabilization yeah. on DSLRs. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of good reasons. Those are also really expensive, aren't they, Dustin? Uh, well, so it happens at two places. You have certain cameras that can do it at the sensor and other cameras that do it at the in the lens. And then some cameras that can work in both, like uh, you know, Fujifilm and Olympus, where the sensor stabilizes and the lens stabilizes, and you can gain several stops. Uh, just by having that image stabilization. So like I shoot at 250 millimeters without a tripod all the time when I do terrestrial photography. Um, You know, I post that stuff from time to time and I keep using the zoo example because I I take a lot of pictures of, you know, animals. It's a, it's a passion of mine. I love going out and getting like really close up high magnification pictures of animals, detailed stuff. And because I can't always get away to go uh, travel to places where the animals are. I go to a lot of zoos and take photos. And um, yeah, I mean, I don't even carry a tripod anymore. The stabilization is so good. Okay, Raj, I'm going to put this comment up here because I love you, man. And I'm glad you watch all my all my streams. But now you're asking about recording video. Really? Are you really asking about recording video right now? <laughs> No, I, I'm, just, I'm kidding you, Raj. Um, so you could probably record video with these if you wanted to find a way to do that with webcams or something. But don't. These is binoculars. Just enjoy the binoculars, Raj. Oh, oh I see. Outside. Okay, we're talking about recording video through the binoculars. I didn't understand the question. Yeah, yeah he wants to. Re- what about recording video? <laughs> I thought it was just a general question, like, "Hey, Tony, what are your thoughts on '70s music?" Yeah. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Black Sabbath all the way. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Gregorius is commenting, a telescope is better for younger people because you don't have to teach them where to, where to look. Uh, that's true. Um, and, uh, oh, here's a good idea too. Uh, Ar- Armando from Facebook is commenting, uh, smartphone adapter to binocular with app slower shutter might work. Maybe. That's not a bad idea. Stick your smartphone. I mean, we've been doing it on, on telescopes for a long time, right? And so yeah. um, there's no reason you, you well couldn't. Yeah. Try it on a pair of binoculars. Yeah. You you may you may have a money making ability there, Armando Armando. So give it a give it a try. Um, uh, absorbing photons wants us to do an episode on night vision astronomy. I have never done that. Have you ever done that? I have. I did it with um, the owner of Teleview, actually. He brought he brought some out. They offer it. Um, we don't offer it just because we do a lot of work with the government, um, you know, DOD and that stuff. And, and so we just wanted to be really careful and because we, we, we ship all over the world, you know, we ship to like 60 something countries. And so some of that stuff is regulated by the U S government. Um, and it, it can't get out. And we just felt like it was safer for us to not offer certain things that had military capability, but, um, all of that aside, it's amazing. It, it really is amazing. Uh, it's not something you can buy from us, but it is out there. It's expensive, but you know it's it's night vision, and you can go out there and you can see this stuff. It, it does all come off in that green haze that nice night vision has. You know, it's all very green. Um, but being able to see nebulae and everything in real time, it's it's super cool, very cool. It's kind of you know the thing is though is like 
now, I mean, Tony, like even what we did in Times Square, you can almost do the same thing if you're willing to not look through something, but instead look at your screen, just put on a, a video, cam- like a, a ZWO or QHY or Attic camera and just run it directly live to your laptop screen and you can show everybody at the same time. Yeah. So like, well, cameras are yeah. so good now that I feel like throw on a triad filter and go, go run crazy exposures and show everybody live. Yeah. Okay. I think we'll end this part of the, the episode with uh, Jason's, Jason Ferry's uh, question. Any suggestions for getting 10 year olds into it? And I'm going to go first and I'll let Dave, Dustin comment in just a minute. But here's what I say about getting young kids involved in astronomy, uh, the hobby of amateur astronomy. Be passionate about it yourself. When you want to go out because the Orionids are peaking on a given date of the month, and they just peaked here, I think, uh, it's you, and you want to go out and you want to see that yourself, and your excitement for going out to do that is all it takes. Because they want to, the 10-year-old kid is going to want to just go, whoa, yeah, man, let's go check that out. Even if they're one of those screen kids, right, that just always have their their face in a, in a, in a smartphone or an iPad, they're still going to want to be curious a little bit about what you're talking about. And you go out and it will transfer to them. The same thing with the planets that are out this week. You can see all of the planets in our solar system throughout the entire evening at some point with a telescope or with your naked eye uh, right now. And to be excited about that yourself and want to go out and say, you know, I got to go check out Mars tonight because it's really, it's, it's, it's just past opposition or I want to see the moons of Jupiter. That kind of excitement will convey off to them. And even that works, even if you don't have, you know, a, 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 a half meter plane wave telescope. Right. Right. It's, that still works if you've just got modest equipment and you know how to use it. So I, that's my advice. How would you get 10 year olds? imaging right you're going to have them take pictures well it's tough to beat that answer (laughs) i think that excitement is contagious and you know i think that just accessibility is the biggest thing that i find i i've never been anywhere in the world and talked to people about you know astronomy or just if you go anywhere in the world and you ask someone if you go out at night and you look up and you see the stars is that amazing to you is that exciting to you you never hear people say oh man that's boring Thinking about the universe out there, like that's boring. I've never yeah. heard that ever. No thanks, I think people have, it's like built in, it's in our wiring, it's in our DNA that, you know, we're explorers and we want to know, we're curious by our own nature. We want to know what's out there because it tells us who we are, where we are. And so whether you're an adult or a child, I think it's built into who we are. And so then the real challenge doesn't become do we have to get people excited? It becomes, how do we make this accessible? How do we get this in front of people? How do we make the tools accessible? And that's, that's what a lot of, uh, I mean, that's, that's everything that our mission at OPT is about. Um, but it's also what this podcast is about. It's about, you know, all of these social efforts. It's what all of that, the Times Square stuff, it's what all of it is about. But I find that 10 year olds are no different than, than us adults, except they're just generally a lot smarter than us. Um, anymore. And, you know, they are generally more talented astrophotographers, <laughs> but <laughs> as crazy as that is, man, it's I'm crazy, telling you, these man. kids, these kids that I'm imaging with are blowing me away. They're taking better photos than I am. And it's awesome yeah, to see. Like- they're recreating stuff that took professional astronomers, oh. you know, 
decades to do, for example, or it would take, you know, uh, like to take the first Hubble deep field in 94, hundreds of astronomers spent, you know, many hundreds of hours of Hubble time taking this image. And now, you know, a kid can come along with uh, a halfway decent radiant telescope pointed up there and here's my deep field. Look, I got 10,000 galaxies in this picture and you know, they're doing it. They're just, they're just doing it. So it's, it's an amazing time for sure. Kids have a mindset advantage on all of us and it's that they hate the word no. Kids hate the word no. So if you're going to go outside, hey, do you want to see this? Yes. Do you want to try this? Yes. Do you want to take the next picture? Yes. Whereas an adult's like, oh, I'll just let you do it. You know, adults yeah. use the word no. Kids never do. And so I feel like they have this huge advantage that they get amazing at anything they touch very quickly because they just like the word yes. Yeah, exactly. So uh, you definitely just 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 show your own enthusiasm and it'll, it'll happen for sure. Um, well, Dustin, we, I've taken up your whole hour. Um, I, I, I do want to mention though, before we end this episode, I just want to talk a little bit about, because it is Thanksgiving week, Black Friday is coming up. Do you want to, do you want to do anything to talk about what OPT has got planned uh, coming up? Cause I'm going to have this episode out early next week. And so I'd like, do you want to, is there anything you want to mention or talk about with respect to what OPT is doing this holiday season? Uh, you know, it's always been very important for me that on these things, we never make it. Um, so, uh, you know, obviously OPT sponsors these and, uh, you know, puts them out. But I never want it to be the kind of thing that's like salesy or pushy to go, um, you know, shop OPT in that way. Look, it's Black Friday. We do things big in everything we do. Um, and so we have a lot of Black Friday plans. They will all be on our website that day. Um, but like getting into the specifics of the sales and that stuff, Hey, for the people that are interested it's there, optcorp.com, you're going to find it all. Um, the, the radian release has been phenomenal. And I say that because it's, it's most of what's going on socially right now, everywhere I turn, I see the radian Raptor and I, I can't tell you how happy that makes me, um, yeah. for, for my team who I watched, you know, just work so hard over you know eight months to make that happen alongside trevor jones and to see it be such a tremendous success is like and to get people so excited and that excitement is growing like that stuff is what we live for it's very very exciting and i can tell you that the second round of those is um is available now the first round completely sold out the second round ships it'll be the last round to ship before christmas so the people that are buying this round are the ones that will, you know, have them shipped before Christmas. After that, it'll be after Christmas. So um, we still have a lot. I think we still have several left. I won't say a lot. We still have several left. But yeah, I mean, those are those are the two things that I'll say. Um, everything else that's on our website, we did just launch a new website. So that's super exciting. Brand new website, optcorp.com. And um, yep. man, I mean, I just, you know, Jenny and I talk about this every day, but we wake up every day and we're just like, this like, you know, this is the most amazing thing in the world that we just get to call this work, that this is what we're talking about. And we're going to do astronomy all day. And then I'm going to hang out with Tony. And then like, it's awesome. <laughs> man. It's, it's, more. <laughs> it, it's awesome. Um, we're excited about all of it. And thank you all for the support because you make it happen. But a um, lot of exciting things. Definitely. Go check out the new website and you'll see all the sales there. Yeah, it is a good, it, it, it's a, it's a cool new site and lots of, lots of information there as well. Like, like there's a buying, there's a buying guide for, for beginners on buying a telescope, lots of good information there that'll help you get started in addition to this podcast. So, so definitely check them out. I'm going to, I like to close out this uh, episode with something Arkatufa says on Clear Skies Network. He says, 
That is so, this is in response to what I said about getting 10-year-olds in, uh, into astronomy. He goes, uh, that is so true. All I need is a phone with Stellarium and look up. People start asking, what are you doing? <laughs> and I just need to explain what a Stellarium does. And they got excited and tried it themselves. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and close out the episode because astronomy is something everybody is inherently interested in, curious about, and wants to get into. And I'm glad you guys are here uh, sharing it all with us. And I want to thank you thank you for watching us live. And if you have ideas for future episodes or things that you, you would like us to do, please feel free to reach out to us on all the Instagrams. You've got Space Junk Podcast has its own Instagram. I'm on social media all over the place at Deep Astronomy. Let us know what you'd like to see and hear. And uh, we, will, we will definitely try to accommodate you. So on behalf of Dustin Gibson, I'm Tony Darnell. Thank you so much for watching and listening. <laughs> and as always, keep looking up. Space Junk is produced by Deep Astronomy and sponsored by OPT Telescopes in Carlsbad, California. Please visit our website at spacejunkpodcast.com. Also, please send any questions and comments or ideas for new episodes to spacejunk at deepastronomy.com.